Welcome to Narratives and Nightcaps, the book club podcast where we dive into the details of a novel, pair it with a fitting nightcap, and leave a little review when all is said and done. I'm Bree. And I'm Megan. And I'm pumped to talk about The Maidens by Alex Michaelitis. I am too. Like, there was one point in the book that we'll get to that I was just like, what? (laughs) I love that he did that. (laughs) Same. I will tell you. So I know what part you're talking about. And I was reading at the pool and I was like in the pool and like on the edge like this. And I literally was hitting my book. (laughs) I was by myself when I got to it, but I was still just like, oh my gosh. And then, you know, I was just by myself celebrating that. So it's fine. (laughs) Yeah. So there's the intro to the episode. Um, that's what we're talking about. Oh, maybe I should show it. So oh. this is the book, um, in case anyone ever sees said video. Uh, and I'll go ahead and mention really quick that we switched to like a new format a couple of episodes ago. So we're going to be talking about the whole book, which includes spoilers. And if this is on your list to read, I would highly recommend that you maybe wait to listen to this episode afterwards because we are going to spoil the heck out of it. Um, I would also maybe say like potential silent patient spoilers because I have a feeling we will be talking about that. So if you haven't read the silent patient, this might also be an episode that you want to uh, come back to after you have read it. And I would highly recommend that you do. Okay, so (laughs) we have a super fun nightcap for this episode. What are we drinking? Yes, so it is, I'll get mine. Mine, it really looks very, I don't know, mine looks really dark, (laughs) but that's fine. Um, We're drinking a fig and lemon fizz. And I chose this beverage because of, spoilers obviously read the book but there's a lot of connection between this novel and Greek mythology and I was trying to find something that was really inherently Greek at its nature and so figs are huge in Greek mythology and just like the Greek area in general Greece I should say um so we did a like I said fig and lemon fizz it is two ounces of rosemary simple syrup um which i think is hilarious because we also just used that in the bee's knees we so, did tie over um so it's uh and i can't remember if the bee's knees was honey based or if it was sugar based but either way you boil um honey whatever your sweetener is water and rosemary into a syrup so you bring it to a boil let it cool and that's kind of one of the bases of this drink and then Obviously, with it being a fig-oriented um, beverage, we had to make a fig puree, which did you make your own, Brie, or did you buy a fig puree? I don't know if that exists. Um, I sort of made it. Yes. Like, I had to blend it and like, add water to Okay. Things. That's what I did. And then, okay, were you able to find fresh figs? No. I wasn't either. I could only find, like, dried ones, like, dehydrated. Yep. So that's what I used, but whatever. So fig puree, vodka, and then a fresh lemon. Um, so squeeze out the juice and then club soda to top it off. And you'll get this fun little number. And it's super good. I was telling Brie that I feel like I have a little bit of a cold and this is just full of like antioxidants. So I think 
this is probably healthy actually. <laughs> it's very fall-esque. It goes so well with so many elements of this book. Like I can't, and it's delicious. The second it's I made so it and took a sip, I kind of ran around the house and I was like, I'm a bartender. Yeah, for real. Like, well, especially because I prepped a lot of the stuff last night. So I'm over here like, oh, a little dash of this, a little bit of this, sprinkle of this. And I just, I feel really legit. Um, I also wanted to, so I did a little bit more research on figs if we have a, a minute and I just kind of wanted to discuss some of my findings um, that I thought were really cool. So I looked up an article from SF Gate and it was basically like the history of figs within Greek mythology slash Greece, the country. Um, and what I found was from this article that they obviously are a huge dietary staple, um, regardless of class in society, which I think is an interesting call out because I think if we look at more like Renaissance-esque period, which is not this one at all, um, but figs are used in a lot of paintings as more of like a decadence, something that only the higher class had. Whereas in Greece, this was something that was accessible for all classes of society. Um, that's also very much associated with the goddess Demeter, who we talk about in this book, I think a little bit. Um, and she's the goddess of agriculture and fertility. It's also associated, excuse me, with the god of all things sensual and wine, which is Bacchus. He's not mentioned, but that's all right. Um, the fig was one of the first grown and harvested fruit trees in the area. So again, very accessible because it's basically like the corn of Greece. And um, the fig is technically, this is what I found really interesting. Figs are technically not a fruit. They are a flower. And they're, each of them is filled with 1,000 seeds. And they contain both male and female reproductive parts, which I think is why it plays so much into like the sensuality of it, because it's a, uh, it could self-produce uh, when it's pollinated. So just some fun little facts about figs. I did not know that. And I love figs. Um, side note, just really quick for anyone that's interested. Um, if you get like puff pastry and then put like a wheel of brie in it and then a fig jam or fig preserves, in the middle of that and then like wrap it all up and bake it in the oven oh my gosh it is heavenly like that sounds like like a christmas or like a thanksgiving treat it is so good so 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 good highly recommend love things so. love it fascinating stuff i'm a big fan of this drink for a little yeah. Like, I kind of want to make it, like, for Christmas, even though it's a fizz, like a cold beverage. I feel like this is such a nice cocktail. <laughs> it is. It goes well with fall or winter, I would say. I think it's going to get uh, into my rotation. Yes. Okay, so let's talk about Alex Michaelitis a little bit. He was born and raised in Cyprus, which is an island in the Mediterranean Sea. He received his MA in English Literature from Trinity College, Cambridge University. Hey, Crazy. And he also has an MA in Screenwriting from the American Film Institute in Los Angeles. Oh. The Silent Patient. Ever heard of it? 
was his debut novel and really took the world by storm. Like if you haven't heard of this book, you might be living under a rock, but that's okay. It sold more than six and a half million copies worldwide. And it's also been optioned for film. Didn't know that till I started to look into this. What? I well, know. hopefully with his um, masters, he could help with the directorial yes. process as well. Hopefully be involved in that. And I should also mention that The Maiden, so this book has been optioned for television. So that's Ooh. also super exciting news. Obviously, like no timeline on that. Most of this information I'll just mention, I got from his website with a couple of things from Wikipedia. So I will link those in the podcast notes. And I would highly recommend that you actually look at his about page on his website because he has very detailed information about his upbringing in Cyprus, which I would say relates a lot to some of the characters in this novel that we're about to talk about. Like you can see that he's pulling from his own experiences. He also talks a lot about the influence of literature in his life as a teen, specifically Agatha Christie, as well as Greek culture, tragedies, and mythology, which all flows into this book that we're about to talk about. So I would read that. It's, I mean, it's kind of lengthy for like an about page, but I appreciated that he gave so much detail on his interests and where that love and passion really came from. And he talks about how his mom also loved literature, but didn't necessarily like the crime side of things. So um, it's very interesting. For The Maiden, this writing style is a third-person narrative following Mary Mariana's perspective. We're calling her Mariana, right? Yeah, I've been saying Mariana or like Mariana, but I, I feel like Mariana is more American. Agreed. <laughs> um, with the exception of the first-person like journal entries that are happening throughout the novel. This book mainly takes place at Cambridge University in Cambridge, England, with mentions of London as well as locations in Greece. So I, I didn't even know where to begin when it came to some of the fun facts and background. Like there was just too many good options. And so I have just a sprinkling of info, information, but okay. So starting with the University of Cambridge, because we've talked about England, but we haven't talked about Cambridge or the university specifically. So this is from the University of Cambridge website talking about their history. They have a really, really cool detailed timeline. And just in case you were wondering, the earliest record of study at Cambridge was in the year 1209. So what? It's well. <laughs> Yes. Holy cow. I, I literally didn't realize it had been in existence that long. Holy cow. Yeah, it's old. And that is the first record of when scholars met there. Right. Which means they could have been there years yeah. before that. <laughs> Holy could cow. Have been congregating there. So several decades later in 1284, the first college was officially founded. And since we love to talk about literature and narratives, the, quote, world's oldest established press, end quote, is the Cambridge University Press, which began in 1584 and has been publishing every year since. Oh, my gosh. 
I know. Wow, that's wild. Because like, go women. In 1948, women were admitted to, quote, formal membership, end quote, and allowed to graduate just like male students. So uh, like, hasn't even been 100 years, but like, go ladies. That's cool. What a concept. (laughs) (laughs) Crazy. Um, There are many notable alumni from the university, and so I pulled just a couple of them from a blog that I'll link, but this included Isaac Newton, Stephen Hawking, Robert Oppenheimer, obviously ever heard of him, and Albert Tennyson, (laughs) who is mentioned in this book. Okay, so wanted to talk a bit about Naxos. an island off of Greece as well, since that plays an important part in this story. And Greek mythology is, of course, a part of the history of the island. According to legends, Zeus was born in Crete, but raised in Naxos and then worshipped by the people there. Okay, I'm going to butcher all these names. And I actually like looked them up and how to pronounce a lot of them. And I don't remember um so Dionysus uh a god of wine uh is also said to have loved the island so much that he blessed it with fertile lands to produce great wines oh and yes a temple was built to honor him and he is perhaps like one of the most linked Greek gods to Naxos um that temple is still standing near the village of Glenado, and those ruins are dated from 550 BCE, but hold it, worldhistory.org says there is evidence that it was actually built on three earlier temples. Oh. Yeah. Wait, like what we see is on top of other buildings? Yes. And what we see is from 550 BCE. So all of the other ruins it was built on top of are older than that. Oh my gosh. I love that. Um, I guess I didn't realize that gods were so uh, regional. Like I kind of thought that, that they were like, this is all of Greece. And these are all like the whole span, not just like, oh, this island believes in these guys. And this island believes in these guys. (laughs) And I didn't realize that. <laughs> the mingle. Um, all that said, this book has definitely exposed my uh, lack of like Greek mythology understanding. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can tell you that is the one class that I failed in college. <laughs> I, I thought it was going to be easy, and it was not. <laughs> I wish I had taken it, but uh, here we are. So I'll go ahead with some trigger warnings, but like. This is a psychological thriller. If you read the back of the book, then you know it's about murder. So you can expect there to be some graphic details about that. However, I will also say that this story includes like the loss of a partner and the grief associated with that and also abuse of humans and animals. Uh, So those are definitely things we're going to talk about. And if that is at all triggering, then I would proceed with caution when reading and or listening to the audiobook or listening to us discuss. Okay, let's get right into this. In her gut, Mariana Andros knows that Edward Fosca is a murderer. 
and he's downright arrogant about it. But Mariana isn't going to let him get away with it. But a few days before that murder takes place, Mariana is at her home in London. It's been a year since her husband died, and she hosts a group therapy session in her home. Her profession is a bit, quote, ironic in her words, in the narrator's words, given her upbringing in Athens, Greece. She was raised by a single father after her mother passed away at an early age, and she grew up pretty lonely and isolated. But she's found success being a group therapist, despite having a troubled member of the group named Henry. He is uh, known for stirring up trouble in the sessions and I would say has a pretty unhealthy attachment to Mariana. That is obvious when she all but like forces him out of her house one evening just as she gets a call from her niece Zoe who's at Cambridge. Zoe tells her that a young girl has been found dead, stabbed to death on the campus and Zoe thinks it's her good friend Tara. So Mariana tells Zoe that she'll be there the next day to help her and be there for her. In the first journal entry that we read, someone talks about killing another person and how when you do that, quote, there's no going back. How this person that's writing is essentially two people. Like they describe it like split personality almost and says, quote, I'm the villain, end quote. Very ominous. We don't know who this person is, but okay. Mariana heads to Cambridge, reflecting on meeting her husband, Sebastian, there when she was just 19. It was fate, if you will, the way that it's described, that they were brought together, destined to meet one another, be with one another. They had their differences, especially maybe in how they were raised, but they loved each other. And we're going to talk more about it, but like Mariana is consumed with grief, obviously, rightfully so. And so it's really hard for her to be going back to this place that they met. On the train to Cambridge, Mariana meets Fred, good old friendly Fred, who... (laughs) Like, is quite bold when he starts to talk with her and asks her questions about what she's doing. When they get to Cambridge, he offers to escort her wherever she needs to go. And she declines. Like, she's like, I don't know you. I want to be alone. He is not deterred one bit, though, and says that he, quote, foresees that they'll meet again. Like, how many times already am I like, Fred's the murderer? (laughs) Something's off about Fred. Yes. Between him and Henry, I think those are my two running standing names that I was like, they're they're the ones. Like, if it's not one, it's the other that that has committed this terrible crime. Because you just you don't come on that strong to someone you don't know. Like that's freaking creepy. It's really creepy. I I would be so nervous if someone approached me that way and then was like, Oh, I'll walk you, I'll come with you, I'll escort you. I would be really freaked out. I would be like, please fuck off (laughs) in the kindest (laughs) way possible. (laughs) I feel like similar words are said amongst characters at points in this book. (laughs) Yes. So death has like surrounded Mariana her entire life to the point that she has actually wondered if she's cursed in some way, shape or form. 
We know her mom and husband have passed, obviously. We learned that Zoe's parents, so Marianna's sister and her husband, died in a car crash, and eventually her dad died too. But it's Sebastian's death that she feels guilty about because they went on a vacation to Naxos, a Greek island, and like Sebastian didn't really want to go. Mariana sort of like forced them to go make this happen and all seemed fine. Like they explored, walked all these ruins together. And one temple they visited was dedicated to Demeter, the goddess in life of life and harvest, like you said, and Persephone, the goddess of death, also known as the maiden. Mariana prayed to them for her and Sebastian that day when they were there and like this weird shadow kind of happened at the same time but she didn't really think anything of it until the next day sebastian went out for a run and a swim but the current and the waves picked up dramatically and his body washed up a few days later yeah um that's horrific and devastating and the description of her running through the water and trying to find him is so awful. So sad. It, well, and the fact that like she found his shoes. So like she knows what happened and yet she can't see him. He's not answering. That's, that's gut wrenching right there. Yeah. Since that day, Mariana has been stuck in her grief and it's compared to the grief that Demeter experienced when Persephone was taken by Hades. But despite all of that, Mariana is trying to really pick herself up. She's like, I have to be okay for Zoe. I have to be there. She's really the only person I have left at this point. At the college, Mariana learns that Tara is indeed the girl that was found dead. And coincidentally, Mariana knows one of the people helping with the investigation. Julian was someone she studied psychotherapy with in school, and he is there helping with the officers and crime scenes and everything. When Mariana gets to Zoe, she's pretty distraught. She cries to Mariana about how bizarre Tara was the night before she disappeared and was killed, how she didn't make any sense when she'd been talking to Zoe, and how she told Zoe that Edward Vosco was going to kill her. They take this info to the police, but it's almost immediately dismissed because Fosca has an alibi and they already think that Tara's boyfriend did it, which like is pretty standard. It's like like a good 98% of the time. (laughs) That's who you look toward. (laughs) Boyfriend or husband a lot of the time. So like I get it. And also Zoe doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, what she's saying just is kind of open-ended at times. It's vague. It's It sounds a little crazy. Like, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And I feel like it's coming across as, like, you know, college friend in shock. And so I think that's why they're like, okay, we'll hear you out. But I don't, I don't know how much validity it has in this case. So after they do this, Fosca actually confronts Zoe to explain how he would never hurt Tara, and he really hopes that Zoe knows this. Mariana finds this whole encounter strange, and he doesn't really even acknowledge her until he's, like, walking away. He's just standing there, and Mariana's, like, awkwardly third-wheeling this conversation. 
And she even senses a bit of fear from Zoe toward Fosca. So she decides to do some of her own digging and investigating into this. On the evening that a service is held for Tara, Tara, Edward Fosca joins and six girls follow close behind him, all dressed in white, which no one else in the crowd. This was not like a mass memo that went out to tell everyone to wear white. So it's bizarre. Tara's boyfriend had referred to them as, quote, witches. And we're going to find out later that this is actually like the maidens group. So... Mariana visits her old professor and friend Clarissa and asks her about Professor Fosca and how he taught Tara. And she thinks like really carefully about just her few encounters with him and his actions. And it's described a lot as, quote, a performance with each interaction that happens. And it does come across that way, like he's performing for someone. It's very theatrical, exaggerated. Yes. It doesn't seem sincere either. Yeah. Like it's just a front to make him relatable. Yes. With Mariana staying in Cambridge to be there for Zoe and now attempt to solve the murder, she can't return to her patients. When she calls to let them know, Henry does not take the news well and tells Mariana that he is always watching her. Very foreboding. Trying to understand Tara a bit more, Mariana meets with her, quote, better, Elsie. So the people that, like, care for the rooms, cleaning them, making the beds. It sounds like this is very unique to Cambridge. Because yeah, because I never had a maid at Iowa State, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> uh, no. no one ever cleaned up my room except for me. <laughs> so just as much as of a, of a performer, I would say, Elsie here says that she saw Tara the night that she died looking rather upset. She tells her that the witches would bully Tara and that Mariana should ask Zoe about that, which Marianne's like, why would I ask Zoe? What are you talking about? And like, she, she doesn't seem super trustworthy with the way that she's behaving. She gives some information about like, oh, Tara loved me. We were so close, but she's also told the opposite from other people, like the whole You just don't know what to believe. And she talks about herself in third person, which I just find very off-putting in general. Like, I don't care what you're saying, but if you're referring to yourself by your own name, that's weird. (laughs) Yeah, it's very, no. When they visit Tara's room, Mariana finds a postcard with a well-known but terrifying image on it and ancient Greek written on the back. So that's important. She takes this postcard to Clarissa for translation and says that, and it says that a maiden must be sacrificed to Persephone. But Clarissa like doesn't find any of this very odd because Tara was studying Greek tragedy taught by Professor Fosca. Zoe's also in his classes. Like it just isn't very strange that anyone would have something like this with that being such an important class that she was taking. During lunch with Zoe, Mariana asks her more about Professor Fosca, including whether or not Zoe has a crush on him, doesn't like him. Like, she's like, I can't really read you. Do you, are you scared of him? Do you find him attractive? What's going on? And she also asks about the maidens. They're his secret prestigious group of students and Zoe despises them. 
But to get a better sense of who he is, Mariana goes with Zoe to attend his lecture. Once again, like it's a play of some sort, it's definitely not like any lecture I've ever attended. Professor Fosca starts by recognizing Tara and the heartbreak and the grief that he feels and that others may be feeling. And then he starts to discuss the secret cult of Eleusis. I actually think I said that right. Possibly. Don't quote me. Better than what I would have said. (laughs) (laughs) And their mysterious rituals and initiations that aren't like completely known or understood, but what was sort of said to take place was that whatever they would do was kind of like being drugged and would take them close to the underworld. And this whole act was largely seen as a death and a rebirth of the initiates of this cult. After the lecture, Mariana decides to approach the maidens, asking more about like, why do you wear white to Terra service? And they have their reasons and they explain that. And she wants to know if they'd be willing to talk more. With Fosca's blessing, two of them agree to speak with Mariana some more. So they're also all like very snobby. They're not nice at all. I mean, so they kind of roll their eyes once he says like, oh yeah, uh, you two, you can go with them. So Veronica and Serena, say that they were with Fosca the night that Tara died, but their recap of that night, like doesn't totally match up at one point. One says yes. And one says no at the same time and answering a question. Like it seems like there's something that they're hiding. And Serena most definitely is because she's also at the same time, they're trying to have this conversation. She's being very secretive about a friend that she's hurrying off to meet that even Veronica doesn't know who this person is. Mariana meets up with the very flirtatious Fred to talk a bit about Fosca and the murder. And Fred agrees that Tara's boyfriend isn't the killer. He's like, I know him. He's he's not a murderer. And in their just casual conversation, Fred brings up Greece and asks her if she's ever been to Naxos, which, like, what the heck, Fred? Um, yeah. That's not... Uh, You know, that's not saying like, oh, have you ever been to Europe if you're in America? It's a very specific place um, that is hard to seem coincidental. I feel like that is like the exact moment that I was like, you're the freaking killer. Like, you know, you know her background. You like somehow lured her to get here. You know, like it just seemed way too coincidental, like you said. And I don't know if we've gotten to this part yet, but Fred also uses the words like premonitions and like, I've had these like visions of things that are happening. And I'm like, you're either you're psychic or you're just crazy, but either way, that's just way too much to be a coincidence. Yeah. The thing that really got me, and this is jumping ahead, but um, he uses those words. And then in some of those first person journal entries, at one point, that person used the exact same words. And I was like, Fred, it is Fred. (laughs) Yes. Fred's scary. (laughs) Okay. Hurrying back to her room, Mariana like knows that she's being followed, but it's dark. She can still hear footsteps following her though. And when she gets close to her building, it's locked. Thankfully, Mr. Morris 
kind of this guy that like oversees the building and it's happened for generations and his family, he shows up soon, helps her, helps her get to her room. And when she does, there's a note from Fosca asking if they can meet. In another journal entry, this person recounts how their mom had wanted them to be born a girl, not a boy, because a boy would turn out like his father. They lived on a farm surrounded by death and abuse, and they had a pit that they'd discard parts of animal bodies. And the father would say that no one would ever find someone if they were to end up in this pit, which is really gross and super sad. When Mariana meets with Fosca, she asks him about this special group and admits to finding it a bit odd that they're all female. Hello, we're all finding that a bit odd. And it's this strange meeting that only gets weirder when he invites her for dinner at his room and then kisses her and walks away, which is so inappropriate. <laughs> it's, it is. And I also feel like, because didn't Fred kind of do that too? Or like try to kiss her? Somewhere Not around yet. here, yes. He does. Yeah. Okay. It has. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. But I just like who does who does that? Who do, I like? Obviously, Fosca is just like screaming red flags at me left and right. Like the fact that the girls even have to like ask permission from him to do things, and just like the very domineering way that he carries himself, like he he's untouchable. Yeah. Is just I can't wrap my head around it. Like. Again, I'm pretty suspect of his intentions as well. Even though at this point, I'm thinking Fred did it. Fosca's also looking pretty guilty. For me, Fosca was like always the obvious one. I was like, it's too obvious right. for him to be the killer. It's just, it's way too obvious. So I kind of like disregarded him from the start. I was like, I don't like you. You give me bad vibes. I don't think yeah. you're a good person, but I don't think you're killing these people. Now, question. How do you feel knowing that he's the only American and he's the creepy, gross one? I mean, it might be kind of fitting. It sucks that that's like. I know. That's what I thought. Um, you know, like that that is the depiction of the one American in this, but also, like, you're not wrong. Fair. Um, fair. <laughs> So, okay, rattled by her meeting with Fosca, Mariana calls Fred to meet him and asks him about Naxos and, like, if he knew that that's where her husband had died. He swears he didn't, but says maybe he picked up on something about it because he's a bit, quote, psychic, self-described psychic. They go back to Tara's building, questioning her moves that, that that night that she died, and they find an American brand cigarette under her window, which uh, Fosca smokes and is, like, the only person there that's going to be smoking American brand cigarettes. Fred has heard quite a bit about Fosca and, more specifically, his crazy secret parties that occur. But they're still not sure how Fosca could have met with Tara like by the river unless he took a punt which I was like what is a like what is a punt and it's a boat with the long the long stick to like punt off of the ground isn't that um what's the Italian version uh, that's the same thing it gondola? Is. No. A gondola yeah is that like the same concept yeah because that's what I was picturing okay yep 
I just never heard it called a punt before. And I was like, no. it took me a second to be like, what are they talking about? Like, they have to be talking about a boat. but <laughs> Right. So they want to investigate this theory some more. But then Zoe calls and says another murder has happened. Mm. Bodies are dropping left and right. Mariana and Fred immediately go to the crime scene. Like Mariana, Mariana is just like, yes, like I am going to solve this. <laughs> I will take them down. <laughs> <laughs> so Fred sets like a small distraction so that she can kind of slip past and get closer to the body. Someone sees her though, but luckily Julian is there to vouch for her. When she gets to the body, the scene reminds Mariana of another Greek tragedy, and she knows the victim. It's Veronica, one of the girls that she literally just met with to talk about everything. Seems too convenient that that just happened. Sure does. She knows too much. So some of the biggest takeaways from this murder are, one, Tara's boyfriend like couldn't have done it because he was in custody. Two, Veronica is holding a pine cone, which Tara had been too. We learned that in this instance. And these murders are appearing very ritualistic and calculated. Uh, the killer is very smart in how they are going about this. Mm -hmm. When the chief inspector shows up, he is not at all happy to find Marianne at the crime scene. And she immediately jumps to that she knows who the victim is and Veronica's connection to Fosca. But she's not really welcome and her input isn't necessarily wanted. So the inspector tells her that she'll be arrested if she trespasses again into their crime scenes. And like, yeah. I, I don't yeah. disagree with that. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> like we've got an active investigation lady. We don't need to like I know who it is. <laughs> In another journal entry, the writer talks about his confusion when his mom stayed with his dad, even though his dad was this horrible, abusive person. He questions all of the possible reasons that she wouldn't leave, or perhaps she was just, quote, in denial, end quote. But he doesn't think his upbringing deserves any pity. Like, he's like, I don't feel sorry for myself at all with that, like my actions or anything, which is, and I don't know. It's just strange. It's very odd. Mm -hmm. I very think that kind of plays into like the dual personality thing. Yeah. In a sense, like I don't see anything wrong with how I am because I'm almost like justifying it now, you mm -hmm. know, that's how I read it at least. <laughs> I agree. Mariana goes to the last place that Veronica was seen, which was the auditorium for rehearsal. She runs into the director there who is very angry and tearing down the set because like this was going to be his big break. He's also Greek, by the way. He recalls that she was going to meet with Fosca and points Mariana to the dressing room because she wants to go look through her things. Another postcard is there with more disturbing imagery and an ancient Greek so all of these, like, typically are depicting either, like, a murder about to happen or, like, a potential killing or a girl standing there with a knife and her eyes hanging out. Like, they're all relevant to sort of the crime scenes that are happening. Yes. 
Mariana tries to console Zoe after Veronica's death. She is again like so distraught. She's just overwhelmed with grief, like even more so than when with Tara. Um, and Mariana thinks like this has a lot to do with maybe she didn't fully process like all of her emotions with Tara. And now this second one is just like pi everything's piling up on top of her. And so Clarissa joins them and translate this new Greek quote. This one mentions a maiden who is sacrificed, quote, as her beautiful neck is severed. And that is definitely related to like how the body was found and how the person is killed. Mariana is convinced it is the work of Fosca. Like there is no doubt in her mind that he is the killer. When they run into Serena later, she is pissed that Mariana keeps accusing or implying that Fosca is responsible. And Zoe even tells Mariana that she's like a bit weird about it, about just constantly accusing him and like pointing the finger at him. And she even alludes to like, does Mariana find him attractive? Which these weird conversations between them are like, are you scared of him or do you like him? And then they have like the same conversation, but that's flip flop that she's like, yeah. do you think he's the killer or do you find him attractive? So well, very what I think is interesting too, is that like, I feel like Zoe at the beginning was the one that was like, it's Fosca, it's Fosca, look into him. And then Mariana's like, yeah, let's go. And now all of a sudden Zoe's like, well, do you just like him? Are you obsessed with him? And it's like, no, because you told me that's who to look at. So that's what I've been looking at. So true. So true. <laughs> and she's super offended by Zoe even mentioning that Mariana could potentially be attracted to him. It's a, but I couldn't tell. I'm like, are you offended about it being him? Or are you just offended in general about someone mentioning that you could be attracted to anyone because you're still dealing with your grief with yeah. Sebastian? Like she's almost like mad about herself. Like, yeah. like, uh, what's the word I want to say? I don't know. Even like cons not consulting. Uh, I'm, I'm losing my words. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Move on. I do mine. I lose mine all the time. I do mine all the time. I lose mine all the time, too. <laughs> Whatever. So, Marianne, Marianne has this, like, brief moment where she goes, okay, you're like, am I wrong? Wait, maybe I shouldn't be, like, you know, always pointing the finger. Like, it's, like, two sentences, I swear, where she's just like, huh, maybe I have gone about this the wrong way. But then she's like, no matter. I have dinner with him, and I must focus on that. Yeah. <laughs> So in his rooms, Edward Fosca has had staff help to prepare this elaborate dining experience in his lodging, not the public dining hall. And on his coffee table is a pine cone. And so Marianna asks him about it. He says it's a symbol for, quote, the seed inside us, the spirit within the body, which is A, suspicious, and B, also just weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, is that supposed to be, like, sexual? I couldn't be. It's more like, <laughs> like the soul. Like, yeah, like um, your spirit. Like, yeah. Um, I find that personally a bit weird, but you do you. That's cool. Um, maybe not cool if people are finding them like in dead body hands, but uh, I do love a good pine cone as a Christmas decoration. They yeah. tend to smell really nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's where I like them. Yeah. 
The two of them talk about where they both grew up, Marianne in Athens, obviously, and Fosca on a farm in New York. He asks her about Sebastian and her childhood, which, okay, this isn't the first time he's, like, brought him up, but I want to know how everyone knows information about her. How do all yeah. of these people already have a foundation of information about her? Because I don't feel like anything, I mean, maybe there was something published, like, body found, blah, blah, blah. But, like, I feel like that wouldn't have made it this big and this far. Also, yes, she went to Cambridge, but she's not some, like, huge alumni that everyone's like, oh, my gosh, it's her, it's her. Better look into her, you know? Like, yeah, I agree. I don't know how everybody knows this information or why they care so much either. I don't either. So she returns the question and he tells her about how, like about childhood, he tells her how his dad was really violent. He was constantly scared for his mom's life and his own, which like sounds like something else we've been reading. (laughs) And then he asks like why she's so adamant that he is the killer and he assures her that it isn't him. When That's very reassuring. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, sir. Uh, (laughs) when he steps away she browses some books nearby and finds the same ancient greek text that was on veronica's postcard has been underlined and that seals the deal for mariana bosca is the killer Uh, uh, uh. got it (laughs) tim it's him okay this is really sad so just trigger warning about animals. I did not like this part. In a journal entry, the boy talks about his family dog, how much he loved that dog, and how much his mom loved the dog, too. When his This dog was named Rex. When his dad threatened Rex one day, his mom stepped in to say that she would kill him if he laid a hand on that dog. I feel like that kind of went southern, like, laid a hand on that dog. On that dog. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but that didn't stop him. His dad killed the dog. And this is when the boy began to understand what hate truly felt like. <laughs> Poor Rex. He did not deserve that. No. Especially because, like, I think it was kind of said, but, like, obviously the dad being abusive couldn't handle the mom loving something more than the abusive freaking dad. So he's like, boom, I'm going to kill everything you love, which is awful. Just awful. I was kind of surprised that, I mean, when she threatened him, she like pulled out a knife and I was sort of shocked that guaranteed she's probably afraid of him. He just shot the dog like that's not great. Um, But I was sort of surprised that like nothing further happened. She didn't like say anything. She didn't retaliate in any way. It was a strange handling of what she was so afraid was going to happen right yeah that's a good point after her meeting with Vasca, mariana meets with fred who is so happy that they're getting together and even jokingly but not jokingly asks like if she'll marry him like he's like so kidding but not kidding will you marry me and she's like, kidding but not kidding, hard no. <laughs> no. When they say goodnight, Fred 
quickly disappears. So this I always thought was weird too. He just like vanishes out of thin air. I don't really know how he's so quick on his feet, but he just kind of disappears. And as soon as he does, she gets a phone call from someone saying that they are watching her. The next day, Mariana sees Fosca and Mr. Morris having a conversation and decides to follow Morris afterwards. She follows him all the way to the cemetery where he is secretly hooking up with Serena. Morris catches her watching and tells her to stay the heck out of everyone's business, which like he's not wrong because she is kind of getting into everyone's business, but this is not good um, at all. So, and now we know what Serena's secret is. Yeah. Or who her, yeah, who her secret man is what i thought was kind of scary though was how quickly morris like flipped because i feel like when we first met him it was like at your service ma'am anything i can do to like make your stay at cambridge pleasant and like he was just very friendly and and you know like when she got scared she he was the one that like let her in and like hey everything's cool and now he's like you like the show Uh, f off Split personality? No, you're so right. He did, like, immediately flip a switch. Mm -hmm. Oh, good point. Good point. I was, I'm just suspecting everybody. (laughs) I think no, you can't trust anyone. That's the moral of the story. Yes. (laughs) Taking a quick trip to London and feeling watched the whole time, Mariana goes to visit Ruth her training therapist. Which we know from Silent Patient, right? No. Yes. Crazy. She breaks down about everything that she has experienced recently. And Ruth actually suggests that Mary Anna's dad might be at the center of everything. And it's like, what does that mean? That doesn't make sense. What are you talking about, Ruth? And then she suggests that Marianna meet with Theo. And she does. Oh, my gosh. Okay. He provides his take on the case and how truly dangerous the murder really must be. Because like we were saying, it's so well thought out. This person is clearly very smart in what they're doing. And that just makes it even more terrifying. And then they talk about his job. And Mariana shows him that there's an opening at the Grove where Alicia Berenson is. The woman who killed her husband and then stopped speaking. Ah, ah. I love that part. That's where I was like, oh, my God. That's where I slammed my book on the side of the pool because I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Well done. Like, snaps yeah. to that. Because I love a tie-in like that. That's awesome. I freaking love it. I'm here for it. When Mariana gets back to Cambridge, someone has gone through her room and she doesn't think anything has been stolen, but this is the moment that she's now truly afraid of Henry. I've kind of been afraid for her like beforehand. So I don't know if I was getting calls that someone was watching me, I would already be a little bit scared, but now she's really scared. In the journal entry, the boy writes about his mother's decision to finally leave his dad, but how she was leaving him behind. Like, 
So she tells him this and he's so excited. He's like, yeah, we're finally getting away. Like way to go, mom. And then she's drops this bombshell about, well, you're not coming. He felt so deeply betrayed, betrayed and that protectiveness that he'd had for her started to slip away and he began to fantasize about killing her. I just can't like, as a mom, as like any decent human being, when you're in an abusive situation like that, you don't freaking leave someone behind. Like that's just awful. You don't do that. No. So with the encouragement from her meeting with Ruth and Theo, Mariana thinks that a group therapy session with the maidens is in order. And of course she gets approval from Bosca to do so but on the condition that he wants to join. And he says that he wants to be there because he needs to, quote, protect them from Mariana. Yeah, no. I just think he's a creep and, like, wants to be in on everything. (laughs) So he is? No, so he definitely is. But also, I'm like, she has been kind of butting her way into a lot of things it's creepy because it's him right but and we we know we have this feeling that there's some ulterior motive to like everything that he does but at the same time she hasn't really been doing herself many favors no that's true and the fact that like the lead investigator had to be like yo girl like pipe it down maybe it's not and especially if these girls are like only you know 18 19 i mean They probably do need to have some sort of adult supervision, but maybe just not from him. (laughs) Right. So this group therapy session was juicy. That's like how I'll describe it. The girls started out as super distant and angry. And all of that was towards Mariana. Like they do not care for her whatsoever. And she finds it, Mariana, I should say, finds it like a bit odd that she doesn't sense any sort of sadness from the group, despite the fact that it's their friends that have been dying. Yeah. And to sort of emphasize this, Mariana had actually set up empty chairs in their group session to represent the dead girls who are no longer with them. Um, so Fosca joins, he's like a little bit late and Marianna had kind of thought that she could get some information before he showed up, but he gets there and they start to discuss Greek tragedy and the father figure that Marianna has attributed to Fosca. So he sort of flips that to question the kind of mother figure that Marianna is. And they all kind of gang up on her and then join in to tell her that she's clearly not as close to Zoe as she believes because Zoe is a member of the Maidens. Shocker. That was kind of a big-ish reveal. Like, I feel like the whole time Zoe's been talking shit about this group and, like, how much she dislikes them. So the fact that they're like, um, I think we're missing a chair for Zoe. <laughs> I didn't expect that because she has been so quick to, I don't know, like talk about how she doesn't care for them, Mm -hmm. has displayed what Mariana reads as being almost like fear toward Fosca and to that group or toward that group. And Zoe's wanted nothing to do with them. But then also I'm kind of like, Zoe went with Mariana when she talked to Veronica and Serena and like, 
neither one of them thought to say something like Zoe was there and I don't know I'm just kind of surprised like it didn't come up sooner from somebody else it's like they kept it a secret yeah that's I mean I feel like so it was like kind of brought up a little bit by that Elsie the better yes a little bit but not not like pushed to the point that this big reveal has led to and you're right like I feel like the other two girls should have even like a passing glance of like, girl, what are you doing sitting on that side of the table? You should be over here with us. Yeah. So before she can confront her, Mariana runs into Fred. And I made this note, like he just kind of always shows up. Um, Like when, I don't know when he's, I don't want to say he's needed because like he's not needed. He just always shows up. And so they go to his room for a drink. And she notices a manuscript on his desk and asks him what he's writing. He says that it's about his mom leaving him as a boy and, quote, she died. Like, she, nothing, died, dot, dot, dot. The conversation turns when Fred tells Mariana how he loves her and wants to marry her. He kisses her, but... Mariana is just like thrown off by this entire incident and hurries away. Okay. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) I just do not know what to make of him. Like he he literally shows up out of nowhere. I'm not going to lie. Part of me is questioned if he's like a ghost Mm -hmm. because I'm like, is he Sebastian? Like, showing I don't know like like, protecting her as this ghost because it it seems really strange like he kind of only shows up when there aren't other people around I don't know it's very bizarre but then this manuscript I was like he did it it's him and like so his mom died he has this manuscript he's clearly like overly emotional like almost obsessed with her I mean the the day that they met he was like I'm gonna marry you or like you're gonna say yes eventually or whatever and then he does it again. So yeah, I I tell you, since the moment we freaking met Fred on that train or whatever mode of transportation, I was like, he he's it. Like it's gotta be him. Not good vibes at no. all. Oh, and you know how you sorry to cut you off really quick, but like that ghostly detail, because doesn't she doesn't he kind of like disappear as quickly as he comes? Yes. So I I liked that that theory of like maybe he is some sort of guide from another world (laughs) I don't know I kind of feel like that would give me some comfort and he wouldn't be as creepy if he was but yeah he has just vanished like out of thin air um and he just appears in some instances it's very strange really really strange but the manuscript is not good no if he's real So heading back to her room, Mariana is approached by Henry with a knife. She's had a horrible evening. (laughs) This is just not going well. (laughs) No, it's not. Nothing can go her way. And he says that he is going to kill himself in front of her. But Morris tackles him before he can do any more. So he just kind of comes out, saves the day, takes him to the ground. And then Henry is taken away. Mariana is woken up the next day to Elsie saying that Serena has been murdered and 
under Mariana's own door is a postcard with ancient Greek text. Mm-hmm. She, yeah, who she rushes out of her room to find Fosca. And when she does, she unloads, screaming and hitting him until a police officer has to physically grab her. See, that that's not looking so good for her. Like no. she's losing it. <laughs> it. Does appear that way. Yeah. It's not a good look. And because of this, she has to come clean about all of her suspicions about Fosca, how Zoe is afraid of him, and she suspects he was sleeping with Tara. She shows the postcards and how he has the same quotes underlined in his own books. She mentions Morris, too, so she's, like, talking to the police about this. Fosca's also there. It's just a whole unraveling. And so she mentions Morris, too, and her thoughts that he might be blackmailing Fosca. But everything that she says ends up pointing the detectives right to Morris. And on top of that, Mariana is told to get the heck out of town by the next day because she has intervened enough. Yeah. Which, like, any good detective slash police officer investigator should have told her that a while ago. But I feel like they gave her a few chances and they're like, okay, lady, now you're just making a mess out of everything. She really is three strikes, like she's out because yeah. she is, um, and all of her intervention has not really gone super well. No. What kind of bothered me is how quickly they leapt on the idea that it was Morris. Like, why will they not even consider that it's Fosca? I don't know. I find that strange. And I'm glad you brought that up. I So even in her sort of account and her suspicions that she's detailing, nothing ever pointed to Morris to me as the killer. Like, yeah, something shady's happening with Fosca, but I don't really understand why they just jumped to that conclusion. That part didn't make sense to me just even in the narration. of I was like, why... Why Morris now? Right. I don't get where. Maybe I. I think I even read it two or three times because I was like, "Why? Why are they jumping to this?" But I just couldn't seem to pick up on what exactly it was. Yeah, yeah. It just what well, and like from the beginning, I feel like she has tried to say like, "Hey, you should like look into this teacher," and they're like, "Oh no, no, he's got a solid alibi. Like, we'll dismiss it. He was with students." I'm like, "Why are you so like to me that?" almost feels like he's like paying them off or like he there's some sort of motivation for the investigators to leave him alone you know they are very dismissive without giving it much interest or additional thought for sure so all of that said morris is arrested shortly afterwards (laughs) and despite being told to leave mariana refuses to give up She meets with Zoe and Clarissa, and Clarissa is encouraging them to leave for their own safety. Like, the cops don't want her there. Now Marianne's got this postcard. You should just go. But Zoe wants to stay now and figure it out. She is now on the bandwagon that Fosca is guilty, and she thinks that she actually knows where the knife is that's been used to kill the girls. Mariana asks her, like, how could you possibly know that? Right. And she also mentions how the girls told her that Zoe is a part of the Maidens. The jig is up. 
It is. <laughs> so Zoe's side of that story is that she only went to the maidens group once. And then she proceeds to tell them, Clarissa included, so like another staff member at yeah. the university, um, she begins to tell them about how the meeting went down. The one that she went to down by the river, the fake sacrifice that took place and the hidden knife, how she knows where it is, how Fosca kissed her and she ended up running away. Like She was just so scared and turned off by the whole situation that she ran away and she tried to ignore it. She never reported any of this until Tara came back that night that she died scared that someone was going to kill her. But Zoe is just as scared now too, because she also received a postcard. Ooh. Which like very morbid, but how fitting that they would kill Mariana and Zoe together. Yes. I agree. Well, but also, I guess we don't know until this point, like, did everyone receive a postcard at the same time? Because they were all discovered post-mortem. So how do we know the timeline of the postcard? True. But it does seem fitting that, yes, Mariana is now getting the same thing as, like, a warning, almost, like, your next bitch. (laughs) True. We don't know the tom- timeline of the postcards. It's sort of been like almost assumed. At least I'm, I've assumed that they were placed like before the person was murdered. Right. But yeah. it easily could have been placed there afterwards. And the detectives just like suck overall by not. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This isn't looking well for the Cambridge police investigation team. <laughs> No, um, or the staff, like all of the yeah. <laughs> professors that have heard rumors and just overlook all of the shadiness. Right. So thinking that they're going to go down to the river to get the knife, Zoe heads off to her room to get ready, which I was also like, what are you getting ready for? Right. Like, is this where she went to like go shower and stuff? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I don't understand. You're going down to the river. I feel like. I'm envisioning you're potentially going to have to slush through water, maybe a little bit. It's outdoors. I don't know. I just found it strange that she was like, I have to go shower. Yeah. And Mariana's just like, yeah, fine. See you there. (laughs) Let me know when you're done. Someone's trying to kill us. We got to get to the river. But yeah, you should definitely like clean up first. Yeah. (laughs) So Mariana follows behind shortly after and receives a call from Fred. He says he had a premonition and thinks she's in serious danger, but she brushes this off. This was another thing. This is, I think, another reason that I thought he was very ghostly is because of the whole, like, premonition. I can sense these things. I can sort of, he doesn't ever say, I guess, see the future, but he's like, I know things like I know we'll see each other again. I know that. So that's part of the reason that I was like, he's got to be like a guardian angel. Yeah. Or like, or menacing. I mean, if or you're still killer. kind of, yeah. Like if you're still kind of going on the idea that it might be him as the killer, like, of course he knows she's in danger. He's about to kill her next. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then this is where I will, hopefully I'm right. I believe this is where he specifically uses the word premonition and mm-hmm. something is about to happen that uses that exact same word. And I was like, 
no guardian angel. (laughs) So little brushes this off. Um, I mean, and I literally mean that, like, she's like, oh, whatever. No, I'm fine. And I was like, but you're not fine because you just found a postcard, which made you like pummel someone else. Yeah. So you're not fine, but okay. As she waits for Zoe, she notices a letter sticking out of her stuffed animal that she's had since she was a kid. And she begins to read. It's a letter about the boy's mom that left the journal. He wrote about it and read years later, even though the full story isn't actually there because this letter to now Zoe says that like two pages are missing and were, and were destroyed because quote, they were dangerous dot, dot, dot. They told a different story end quote. But all of that led the writer to Zoe, who's specifically named now, and he had a, quote, premonition about the two of them being together after sacrifices that needed to be made. It's basically a confession about the murders that are going to take place. Yes. Like, yeah, like a pre, like nothing had happened yet. And then that was like, and I'm going to kill somebody. (laughs) Yeah, but it's, it was literally like, I have to kill somebody, like blood will be shed, but don't worry about it. Yes. <laughs> Just keep, stay calm, it's fine. It won't be you. <laughs> yeah. Mariana is in total shock at Fosca's letter. She's like, Fosca wrote this, oh my gosh, this is awful. And when Zoe comes back, she like follows her in a daze to go down to the river to get the knife. Like she's just kind of blindlessly letting Zoe lead her. Yeah. And so they get to the river. Zoe offers to punt. Zoe, I will say, has this like energy and is kind of pumped about this scavenger hunt now that they're about to go on. And Mariana notices that Fred is nearby in the trees. So it's like, okay, is he there to kill them? Is he there to watch out for them? What is going on? When they reach the folly, Zoe quickly finds the knife and everything about her posture changes at that point. She points the knife at Mariana and tells her to walk while Mariana tries to convince her that none of this is her fault, she confesses that she found the letter. She knows that Zoe is a victim. Meanwhile, Zoe starts to exclaim that it's all about love, even as Mariana tells her that Fosca doesn't really love her. But Fosca didn't write that little love note. It was Sebastian. <laughs> That's so sad. It's sad. It's disgusting disturbing i mean that's literally her biological niece yeah and her husband is the one writing this girl love letters yep oh my gosh i almost didn't believe it at first like i was like there's no way oh yeah there's no way surely i misread that name (laughs) (laughs) flipping back to be like uh is that was that her his name the whole time yeah what are you sure his name wasn't Christopher? <laughs> In disbelief, like the rest of us, Mariana listens as Zoe tells her about their love and how everything was about the two of them. Mariana's dad had even caught them together once, so Sebastian killed him. 
They concocted a plan to be together, but then Sebastian died in Naxos and Zoe blames Mariana. She carried out everything, pinning the whole thing on Fosca and distracting Mariana with the maidens. Zoe killed the girls, including her friend Tara, so supposedly her best friend. And then Zoe tackles Mariana to do the same, but Mariana causes her to lose the knife. And as Zoe ran to look after it, Fred like rushed over, knowing something bad was going to happen. But Zoe stands up and stabs him. Poor Fred. <laughs> Mariana grabs a rock to hit Zoe, who falls over onto the knife, and it's at that point that Mariana calls the cops. Oh, what a chapter that was. <laughs> yeah. Um, all happened very quickly. Yeah, and like, how a little bit convenient that she like happens to fall on the knife as well. <laughs> When I picture that, I almost picture it in, like, a comical way. Like, it just seems so strange to, like, fall on the knife. I don't know. I have a very hard time visualizing that without it looking really weird. Yeah. Because realistically, it would have had to land upright, which, like, when is a knife ever going to do that? I don't know. And it's not like she stabbed Fred through and through and, like, landed on Fred to then land on the knife. <laughs> like that 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 part isn't isn't there for me but I digress <laughs> well she lives and is taken away by ambulance so she didn't fall on it like on her heart or anything yeah and that's alive too he goes away in an ambulance and I love that the narrator tells us like in a separate one they didn't go together <laughs> Yeah, everyone was safe. Everyone goes in their respective vehicles away. Mariana makes peace with the inspector, of course, and he tells her that Fosca was fired anyways because he was sleeping with the girls. He didn't kill them, but he was sleeping with them. And Morris was indeed blackmailing him. Was, so, was Morris fired too? I can't remember. I don't know that it said. Okay. They just found that it was true of what she had said. So yeah. And his apology to her. So she wasn't like totally wrong about no. things. Back in London, Mariana deals privately with the fallout in Cambridge. She visits Fred and wonders what their future will hold. Zoe was admitted to the Grove and Theo is now one of her therapists. In a letter, he encourages Mariana to visit and talk to Zoe, and eventually she decides to show up. Theo says the situation is much more complex, that Sebastian was the real killer here and just using Zoe. It's like Munchausen's by proxy, but killing. Yes. He asks her to wait while he tends to another patient for a moment, but she keeps going and walks into the room that Zoe is in. And that's the book. The end. <laughs> that's the whole thing. There we go. So, yeah, that was the maidens. Um, final thoughts? What do you think? You want me to go first? Go for it. Okay. I wrote this this morning because I forgot to last time. That's okay. <laughs> so I said 
This is another book that's right up my alley in terms of genre. You know, I, I love me some thriller. I love me some, let's get creepy. Let's get criminal. I love all of that stuff. Um, I love the, the, the suspense, the old who done it because of course, like the whole time you're trying to piece together. Okay. Well, it was Fosca. No, too obvious. Okay. It was Henry. No, he's not in it enough. Okay. It's Fred, the creepy weirdo. Like he's showing up. Um, and it's kind of cool to see like who has the ultimate motive, I guess. Like, I mean, not cool, but you know, it's, it's rewarding to figure out who has that final motive to want to kill all these women, especially like during an ongoing investigation. That's pretty bold, pretty ballsy to do. So what I loved, um, I love that it could have been anyone. I love that suspenseful aspect of knowing okay, you know, all of these different characters have some sort of role in this. So trying to see how that plays out. Um, you know, I definitely thought it was Fred. I definitely thought it was Fosca. You know, he was just a creep overall. Um, and, you know, some people I feel like kind of came out of the woodwork, like how Morris all of a sudden turned like really aggressive. So then you're like, whoa, hold up. Maybe there's something there. Um, I loved that there was the reliable... Clarissa, who kind of acted as like a mentor and a support for Mariana, and also ended up being kind of a big aspect to solving it because she could read and understand ancient Greek and was not only transcribing like what was written, but then what passages they were from so that Mariana just had more clues to go off of. Um, and I absolutely loved the tie into the silent patient. Like I, I think it happened twice in the book. So obviously like in the middle and then toward the end, which I think you and I were like, we have to go back and see where it is. Cause that was so cool. Um, what I did not love was that Mariana was just like immediately, like so nosy, so into everything, like did not play it cool at all. Was just like, I'm a therapist and I'm going to use that to my advantage. And I'm going to get all these people to talk to me and I'm going to, you know, figure it all out. And I mean, I guess like, I get that that was her whole purpose. Otherwise this wouldn't be a book, but I just feel like the reality of it was not very real because <laughs> like that would never happen. You know, um, I didn't love that. It was Sebastian. Like that grossed me out like freaking child molester. Um, it was stated by Zoe that he, they slept together when she was 15. That is disgusting. And I get that that's probably part of the thrill of the book is like, Whoa, something really spooky is happening with all these murders and then also something gross is happening <laughs> um and I also didn't love necessarily that I was Zoe's on his behalf because I just would like to think that maybe you're not so tied into this master plan like I don't know having a therapist for an aunt and also basically the person that raised you you would think you could rise above a little bit but guess not. And I also wasn't super clear and maybe you were, and I just couldn't read between the lines, but like, I didn't understand what the master plan was. Like, why did you have to kill these random girls to be together? That's the part I was like totally missing. No, I didn't get that either. It, I think that's part of it is that I almost struggled with even believing it, even when all of these like facts were now presented to us, because I was like, yeah. I don't, I don't get it. Well, I mean, what were they going to do about Mariana? Like, oh, okay. Right. Um, I didn't really understand their ultimate goal other than that they said, well, we'll be together. 
okay um yeah i still don't see how that's going to happen um and the whole like i like sacrifices have to be made like i i could understand if that meant like killing off the dad because he caught them together but then to like target a group of college women right that that just seems strange to me so Overall, I thought this was a really fun read. I love The Silent Patient. I think this is a great follow-up. Like, as your next debut novel, I feel like this went off really well. Um, And I'm personally very excited to read the next one coming up because I already have it marked in my Goodreads want to read when it comes out in January. (laughs) I think I do, too, because I am also excited for that. We have very similar thoughts on the whole thing. Well, if you gave it stars, what would you give it? Um, I feel like for me, this is like a three and a half. I think that that's a good good medium book. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Very similar thoughts. I said, after reading The Silent Patient, which I loved in all caps, like bold that. You recommended it to me and I loved it. It's, I mean, I recommend that book to just about anybody. (laughs) It's so good. But I really wondered, like, can he do it again? And in my head, I was like, well, it won't be easy. But in my opinion, this was an admirable follow-up to his very captivating first novel. Of course, I can't help but compare it to The Silent Patient. So I said, like, was this as jaw-dropping for me? Not really. I go, actually, like, the most jaw-dropping sort of exciting moment was actual the tie-in to The Silent Patient. Like, yes, other things were surprising, but that was, like, the full-on, oh, my gosh. (laughs) I was not expecting that whatsoever, and uh, I loved it. So um, I really hope that that actually continues with The Fury. I would love to see, like, little tie-ins all over the place. And on that note, too, I know we talked about it at the beginning. Like, The Silent Patient is being optioned for film, and The Maidens is being optioned for a television series. And I kind of wish that they were both going to be the same so that you could almost like tie them in and stagger out like when they come out um because I don't know how you're going to do that if you're if they're adapted by like two different companies and all of that but that's just my opinion so whatever (laughs) um Overall, I think the maidens the maidens hold up well in the psychological thriller space. It's creepy, it's foreboding, dark, and super suspenseful. You're always feeling like something is right around the corner. But similar to you, do I love that Sebastian like ultimately sucked on so many levels? Uh, not really. That actually left me feeling like kind of disappointed yeah. in the ultimate reveal of it I loved all of the the buildup like you said with the different character development and you're constantly like pointing your fingers like that person could have done it or that person could have done it I love all of the guessing and I did not love that it ended up being Sebastian and Zoe um I will say like can I appreciate the unexpected factor and that you really didn't see that coming yes Like, the finger had literally been pointed everywhere but at him. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I ultimately just didn't care for that. So, all in all, it's spooky season. And if this genre is what you like, then I would say this definitely needs to be on your list. For sure. And I feel like, you know, this isn't the first um, 
follow-up book or like multi, you know, author with multiple books that we've been like, was this their best work? Because I think we had a similar sense with Colleen Hoover's Verity, where we were like, when we read Layla, we were like, oh my gosh, like it has to be on the same level. And it, and that one for sure wasn't, I feel like this one is a lot closer, but it's still not like, oh my gosh, the silent patient level. Right. I, am I glad we read this? Yes. Yeah. Like would I still recommend it, especially if you like the psychological thriller aspect? Yes. Whereas like Layla, I wouldn't really recommend. <laughs> um, but, but did it have the same level? Probably not, but yeah. That, I am still excited about the Fury too, which comes yes. out in January, like we said. And if you haven't listened to the Silent Patient, which if you've listened to this episode, I would hope you would have read the Silent Patient. Um, but if you haven't, it's phenomenal. Highly, highly recommend. So, up next, what are we reading? We are reading. I already got my copy in the Paris Apartment by Lucy Foley. Um, so she's also the writer of The Guest List, which I can't remember if we've talked about. I've read that separately, and I really enjoyed it. So I'm looking forward to diving into The Paris Apartment, which I feel like I've also had on my to-read list for forever at this point. So I have we'll to- dive into that next week or two okay. weeks, whatever, whenever we release this. Cut that part out. <laughs> at some point, it'll be out. Okay. okay. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks for listening. Narratives and Nightcaps is a production of the Craft Co. LLC. Music for this podcast was created by Remington Haynes. Connect with us on our website, narrativesandnightcaps.com, or follow us on Instagram and TikTok. Cheers!